do you have any questions or comments you want to make so far on what we've been talking about, discipleship and evangelism? If there is a difference, could you explain to me the difference between, we've been talking about methodology of evangelism in the New Testament. What is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament evangelism? And if there is a difference, do you think the church gets it mixed up or got it mixed up? I wouldn't say they got it mixed up because I don't believe that the Old Testament per se has any specifics concerning evangelism or any principles you could apply to the church. Mm -hmm. Now, however, there is one major difference. Some would, scholars would tweak a little bit, is that in the Old Testament, the method God had seemed to be come and see. In other words, he chose this nation. He gave them special instructions as to how to be a holy people. All of the law had to do with demonstrating the holiness of God. And the idea was that if the people lived out the commands of God, the nations around would see that they were different and be attracted to Yahweh, be attracted to Jehovah. So it was a come and see idea. Now that carries over, but in addition to that now, there's also the idea of going. Wherever you go, you spread the gospel. Now, they didn't have too much of that in the Old Testament. Although, uh, you don't realize it, but the Pharisees, for instance, they were very evangelistic. By that I mean, they were people who tried to get individuals into their particular sect. In fact, Jesus mentioned it. He says, you would travel all over the place trying to win a convert, but you wouldn't do these other important things. So the biggest difference, I would say, and I wouldn't stress it as much. I think what happened was, again, uh, there was a misunderstanding of the commission, the idea of going, all right? And so uh, to say that it was only going would not be true. There is an attraction, and I think that's the part that we're trying to emphasize now. If we live the way Christ wants us to live, we will attract people to him. Uh, scripture tells us we have been foreordained unto good works. And Jesus says, if we do these good works, men will see these good works and do what? Glorify the Father who is in heaven. And that's the aspect we are missing out. Uh, we overlook those aspects of evangelism. Since I have the mic, could, may I ask a question? Sure. Um, when it evangelism, I'm talking about personal evangelism. Oh, I think the scripture this morning we used, or you used, is, was um, Colossians 6. 4. 4. 2, two to six. 6. And it has to do with opening the door of an opportunity that we may present the gospel intelligently. Um, I had a very interesting, um, what do you call it? Opportunity during the referendum. People came knocking on your door. And I saw it was a, was, a, was, a, was a big opportunity for me for evangelism. And I just used it. 
whether the yes or the no. They came and asked him yes, and they came with their big t-shirt. And so that yes, and I had, I opened a big question to them, putting a question to them, what are you saying yes to? Okay, and they're saying yes to, and then I said, um, have you ever said yes to Jesus? You know, and so we, we, we spark a conversation on. That's buying up the opportunity, that's right very there. good. And then the no came by, even though they may have been Christian or being, being moral people, I say, what do you say no to? Are you saying no to? And we spark a good conversation mm-hmm. right there. No, so, that's, I think, again, that's in keeping with the passage we read where we take advantage of those opportunities and to when, share when, the gospel. When they came by, they met me singing. They, they heard me singing in the house, mm-hmm. and they said, oh, that one is a Christian. And when I heard that, I said, who are they? And I opened the door, and they began to talk again with the referendum. And I good. had an opportunity right there to present Jesus right. Christ to the people. But I think that's you good. Know? They come to you. Like, you know, we have some folk who come around to the doors, and a lot of Christians say, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to let them in my house. But I know one man here, he invites them into the house to dialogue with them. That's Pastor Fowler. When these people come around, because he sees that as an opportunity to share the gospel. So he never tells them, don't come to this house. He says, come. And then he shares the gospel. So those are opportunities that we can buy up, you see. But what I'm saying here, and I think it's important to note, is that I think that's the way the New Testament shows that the gospel is to be shared as we go anywhere, anytime. That's why I put a slogan here for these messages that I'll be giving for the past several weeks on discipleship. Now remember, when I say evangelism, always remember that I'm saying it in the context of discipleship. Evangelism is the first step, the beginning step in discipleship. Evangelism is not an event that has an end in itself. It's just the beginning. And you cannot stop at the beginning to have a good completion. You see what I'm saying? Um, But I put it like this here for these series of messages. It's intended to equip members of the incredible body of Christ to share the gospel accurately, anywhere, anytime, with anyone in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we uh, follow that principle, all of us will be sharing the gospel all all the time with everybody we meet more people will be coming to Christ. And I think that's the way that Jesus has designed it to be. Not just through mass evangelism. Not that those are not good-minded. That's a method. But I don't think that's the best method or the way uh, we have it for the church as an organism that is to grow itself. You see? Grow from within and so on. All right. Any other questions or comments? Candy. This is more inferred, more of a comment. I noticed this morning that you inferred about the Holy Spirit. You didn't really mention that. And I noticed that forced evangelism often happens when someone, like, I'll give an example. My grandfather, as he got older, he would just almost like, quote-unquote, I'll just, it might be a bad expression, but blurt or vomit the gospel on someone, whoever he met. And it necessarily wasn't a good time. Or they might have been a Christian. They might have been telling him, I'm a believer, and start to try and tell him about their walk, but he couldn't hear them. All, he was like, had blinders on. And um, 
one thing that I thought about this morning is making sure the Holy Spirit is leading you and you're not doing it impetuously. Well, I think that's an important part of it. That's why I mentioned the Holy Spirit here. See, no one can be saved apart from the Spirit of God working in their life. And I believe it's a principle to say that when you are led to an individual, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And the Holy Spirit is work bringing conviction upon that person. And you come together and salvation occurs. But when you take the initiative simply because you say, well, I want to witness, you know, because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And so I am going to this person here and they're gonna, I'm going to badger them with the gospel. I don't think that's what uh, the New Testament demonstrates. It's our waiting upon the Spirit of God to lead us to it, and he does that. Sometimes, uh, I think, for instance, you're on a plane. You sit next to somebody. Sometimes I say, Lord, don't bring anybody. Let me have this seat by myself. I don't want to be bothered. I want to read. I want to pray. I want to do something. But other times I would pray, Lord, put somebody here so I could speak to them about the gospel. And what I would do sometimes, if I have a book that or the Bible, I would open it so the person could see it. You see? And many times they would start a conversation, especially if you have a book uh, on, on, on religion or Christianity or whatever, uh, sometimes they would ask the question. And it's an opportunity for you to share. But then again, you be, have to be wise. You only have a short time. So you've got to be able to know exactly what it is that you want to convey to them to accurately give the gospel. You see? Just saying that Jesus died for you or Jesus died for everybody, that's not sufficient. And we'll talk about that later on. But the Holy Spirit plays the most important part in evangelism. And I think that's one of the dangers you'll find when it comes to a wrong use of the invitation. I'm not saying invitations are wrong, but the wrong use of the invitation, where you badger people, you try to persuade people yourself to place faith in Christ rather than allowing the Spirit of God to do it. Sometimes it's the wrong motivation. You know, and I've talked to preachers about this. This says, yes, Pastor Lee, when I give the invitation, I don't want to stop till I see somebody come down. And I will go on until I do that because, well, number one, I'm embarrassed because I give an invitation, nobody come. You see? And my people then think that the gospel isn't being shared or we're not doing anything. That's the wrong motivation. You see? And those are some of the dangers of doing that. But it can be done properly. And we'll talk more a little bit about that, how this all originated. You have to realize for almost 1,900 years, the church knew nothing about gospel invitations. They never did it. It wasn't until the end of the 18th century, the beginning of the 19th century, that it started. And it started outside the church in uh, what they used to call the uh, tent meetings and so on, and the revival meetings and so on. But they had so much good success, so-called, that they brought it into the church, you see. And uh, that's what we have. But we have to see and study it to see exactly what's coming on. All right, any other questions or comments? Okay, very quickly, because I don't want to force you either to <laughs> ask questions. I want to talk about evangelism or discipleship as something that we were 
recreated to do. We were regenerated to do. We became believers in Christ, a disciple, so that we could disciple others. And also, very important truth that we sometimes miss out on, evangelism done God's way is actually an act of worship. Evangelism done God's way is actually an act of worship. Let's begin by looking at what I call the purpose for living. Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians 5.14. And this was brought home to me as I was studying. They have a satellite that's orbiting the planet Saturn. It's called Cassini. It was sent up some time ago. And they have a group of scientists now they call ring scientists. And all they do is study the rings around Saturn. Saturn, that's all they do. Just study the rings around this planet. And they came up the other day that they have discovered the reason for the existence of these rings around the planet. And you know what it was? To protect the planet. That's the only reason for their existence, to protect the planet. And if anything happens, they can't do it. The rings will dissipate, will just be destroyed. Their purpose is to protect the planet. It's important for us to understand our purpose as believers. Now listen, look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Uh, you did get it working out. All right, I got to remember that then. I forgot. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Listen to that. For the love of Christ controls us. Since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. Now, all here does not mean all mankind. It means all believers. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again on this behalf. Now, this is the ancient text that Tillman was speaking about. Listen to what it says. Why? What is our purpose for living? So that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again on their behalf. So we ask the question, what is one purpose for our living as Christians? One purpose for us being alive. It's right here. And what is it? To live for him. That's the purpose for our living. Not to live for ourselves, but to live for him. We are here then to live for Christ not for ourselves. That's the word of God. Now, of course, I could pound that in, I could shout, and I could holler at you concerning this truth, but it wouldn't make it any more truthful. We are here to live for Christ and not for ourselves. Now, listen to the rest of the text, verse 18. And all these things are from God, who reconciled, notice that word, us to himself, through Christ, and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember now, first he reconciled us to him. He did that ministry. Then he's given us now the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, in other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's Transpass, trespasses against him. And he has given us 
the message of reconciliation. The same message that God used to bring us to himself, now he has given it to us in order to share it with others. Notice verse 24. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. So we are here as messengers of God, messengers with the message of reconciliation. We are an ambassador. And in this sense, the ambassador has one message from our king, from our master, and that is be reconciled to God. We are here as ambassadors of Christ to proclaim the gospel of reconciliation. All right? Now, <coughs> excuse me. Paul says all believers are to do this. Not just him, not just the apostles. But now, let's look at our text again. Romans chapter 15, reading it again. But I myself am fully convinced about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But I have written more boldly to you on some points so as to remind you. I like this because I do the same thing. Sometimes I emphasize certain things again and again so that you might be reminded. Because of the grace given to me of God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, I serve the gospel of God like a priest so that the offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture, as far as I'm concerned, in the Word of God. It really blew my mind when I got a hold of this. Paul is saying that these believers at Rome were able, in fact, they were unable to share the message of reconciliation. Now, sometimes what we do, and I've done it, we take this passage out to talk about counseling. But really in the context, it has to do with the message of reconciliation. Notice it says, first, they were full of goodness. In other words, this speaks of their disposition toward God and toward man. They had goodwill toward God and had goodwill toward others. They were rightly motivated. They wanted to do what was good in the sight of God. That's these Romans. Secondly, they were filled with all knowledge. This speaks of the knowledge of the word of God, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They were taught, and they had no deficiency in their biblical knowledge, we could say in their theological knowledge. And I want to repeat again, I believe that one of the greatest barriers to Christians sharing their faith is because they do not know their faith sufficiently to share it. They are not able to deal with challenges to their faith. How do you know there's a God? How do you know Jesus was divine? Why do we need blood? What is faith? We have to do something. And we need to know the faith. But third, they were able to teach or to admonish one another. One uh, translation says they're able to counsel one another. But the word there actually means 
to correct, to put a person back on the right path is the idea. There's a sequence now in these whole things. The Roman Christians, their goodness and their knowledge qualified them to admonish or counsel or to correct others, to put them on the right path. So Paul is saying here that all believers could be involved in this if we have these particular qualifications. And this is where the edifying and the instruction of God's people, the equipping of God's people comes in. We as pastors are responsible for equipping you along these lines. And that's what we're trying to do again. Now, when you put this all together then, we find that we as Christians are here to passionately and compassionately share the gospel with those who are lost in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not here to live for ourselves, but we are to live for Christ. And we do that by one part of it anyway, by discipling others, which begins with evangelizing the lost, with the intention of making them to become true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the truth I want you to get a hold of here, though. Listen again, verse 15. Listen to these ancient words. I have written more boldly to you on some points so as to remind you because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason to glory in my service for God. Read that carefully, beloved. Read it again and again. This is an amazing truth. Paul saw his work of evangelism, evangelization as a sacrifice to God, as a spiritual worship. Evangelism then is in fact an act of worship. It's the way we live. I want you to note carefully, and I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek tonight, just so you can see that here. Because this passage, these verses are filled with priestly terms. The word minister comes from a Greek word, la togos, which we get the word liturgy, where we get the word worship from. The idea of doing service for God. Ministering as a priest, that's priestly duty. Doing, doing what a priest does. Notice he talks about offering. That offering here has to do with a sacrifice of oblation or thank offering here. This is what a priest offers to God as a sacrifice. So Paul saw himself when he was evangelizing as a priest who was offering a spiritual offering to God. And those were the individuals that he led to Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's a wonderful truth. Every time God uses us to lead someone to Christ, he accepts that as an offering. I think that's beautiful. All of these terms in these verses then are related to the duty of priests. Peter also relates to this same truth. This is what he says in 1 Peter 2 verse 4. Coming to him, that's Christ, as a living stone rejected by man by choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, speaking to Christians, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for what? A holy priesthood 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture of what it means to serve Jesus Christ the way he has directed in his word. Here's some things to remember. All believers are priests. You are a priest. I am one. We are divinely appointed to offer spiritual sacrifices to God on a daily basis. And in this context, the sacrifices are those that we lead to Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't it? But now, have you ever heard that in a teaching on evangelism? That those who wonder Christ, God accepts as a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice from us as priests. Now, this text in Romans 15 expands on what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice going on, holy and acceptable unto God and so forth. Paul tells us that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifice to God, ourselves. And so in a sense, we are imitating Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a priest. And through the power of the Spirit of God, the book of Hebrews tells us, he offered himself up on Calvary's cross. And we are to do the same. We are to offer up ourselves as living priests. It's something that we're going on every day. And we are to offer sacrifices which are pleasing and acceptable to him. That's Romans 12. Now in Romans 15, we see that as members of a kingdom of priests, we are also privileged to present those we disciple as sacrifices to God as well. It is not just a casual ho-ho thing. This is a holy privilege that we have in sharing the gospel so that people could come to Christ and be led on to Christ's likeness. So let's look at it, what I call divine logic. All right? Premise number one. We are created to worship. We've demonstrated that before. Premise number two. Worship is to be a way of life, not just something we do on Sunday mornings. Premise number three. Evangelism is an act of worship. The conclusion. Now, if these three premises are true, then this, this conclusion has to be true as well. Evangelism is a way of life for which we were created. Evangelism is a way of life for which we were created. Well, the best word is for which we were created, recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, for which we were born again. Evangelism, I say again, is what we were recreated to do. Look at the text again. Let me read it. But I myself am fully convinced about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and being able to instruct one another. But I have written more boldly to you on some points so as to remind you, because of the grace that was given to me from God, to be a minister of Christ, Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. Did you get that? When we share the gospel, we are ministering as a priest. And remember now, we can take this. That means it has to be accurate because the sacrifices that we offer have to be pure, right? It couldn't be polluted in any way. It couldn't in any way be contaminated. It had to be pure. That's why we emphasize 
the purity, the need to know the gospel and to teach it in all of its pureness. Not an error, not in any way distorting the gospel. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit, set apart by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason to glory in my service for God. Paul is saying here, that's why I was willing to do anything in order to get the gospel out, no matter the sufferings, the pain that he suffered, because he knew that he was offering a sacrifice to God, and he gloried in that. He gloried in that. He praised God for the privilege of doing that. He then explains his motivation for writing the book of Romans. That's why he wrote this book. His purpose was to remind the Roman Christians of the fundamentals of the faith. That is what the, that's what the book of Romans is all about, the gospel. Paul shares the gospel from beginning to end, all the way through. His motivation was to carry out his God-given mission and calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. He realized that his purpose for being an apostle was to share the gospel as a priest to the unsaved. Now, he says he's sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What is the meaning of sanctification? It means to devote something to the intended purpose for which it was made, set apart for the purpose of God, we were said. But the core meaning is to devote something to the intended purpose for which it was made. That's sanctification. What Paul is saying here, therefore, is if we want our lives to be acceptable to God, then the only possible way in which this can be done is for us to allow the Spirit of God to affect God's purpose for making us new creatures in Christ in the first place. And that is to worship him by offering to him those whom we make disciples by first leading to Christ. Paul was fully aware of his purpose. If he had time, we'd go through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, uh, and we see where Paul talked about his calling. God made his purpose very evident at the time of his conversion. Notice what it says in Acts 29. This is when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appointed you. We could say, for this pointed, I have, this purpose, I have sanctified you. I have set you apart to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Paul realized the purpose for which he was called by God, and that was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 17, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Notice their eyes have to be opened before they can do this. And the implication here is that it's opened when Paul shares the gospel to them. To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul realized the purpose for his calling, purpose for sanctification, and he dedicated his life to that. He realized that the only reason why he was alive was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Paul says to those purpose at the beginning of the epistle to the Romans when he says in chapter 1 verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. My point is, Paul knew what his purpose for existence was, and he dedicated himself to that. What I'm saying to you, we need to know what our purpose for being here is. And we saw it. It's not to live for ourselves, but it's to live for Christ. And one part of that is to be ambassadors who shares the gospel of Jesus Christ on an ongoing basis as priests. So those come to Christ, we could present as spiritual sacrifices to our God. But let's go back to our text. Verse 15. Because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason to glory in my service for God. All right. What then is the final goal of teaching others or proclaiming Christ. Paul spells it out very clearly in another, uh, in another epistle in the book of Philippians. This is what he says, verse 28. Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man, that's the same word we use for counseling, and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ, not only that they may be saved from hell, but they may be complete in Christ, mature in the faith. Notice, and for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. Paul was drawing upon the power of the Spirit of God to enable him to proclaim the gospel accurately to the unsaved, so he, as a priest, would be able to offer them to God as a spiritual sacrifice. Let me summarize then as we close. And I hope that you will open your heart to this tremendous truth here and, and study it more and expand on it in your own study. We are here to worship God as a way of life. One vital, essential part of this way of life is what I call organic evangelism making disciples by first winning them to Jesus Christ, but always being reminded of the fact that that's only the first step. That's not an end in itself. That's only the beginning. This, I believe, these passages teaches us is what we were recreated in Jesus Christ to do. It is one of the essential reasons for our being on earth to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ as we live not for ourselves but for him by sharing the gospel accurately to everyone we come into contact with. Everywhere, anytime, anyone sharing the gospel. And we do that as priests trying to uh, secure the spiritual sacrifices that we present to God. And as Paul said, we will glory in Christ Jesus because of this. And our ministry of evangelization will become a sweet-smelling savor in the presence of a trice-holy God. Amen? So let me ask you a question then. Have you as a believer taken the first step in making disciples?
Are you sharing Christ on a daily basis? That's what begins. Now, as we go on, we're going to try to give you some suggestions as how you can do this and how you can go on to disciple people to become Christ-like as well. But let's close there for this evening. Any questions or comments before we have a word of prayer? Hi. Yes, sir. Evening. I'm um, in Colossians 1 and, and 28. It I seemed, said Philippians, right? It was Colossians. Yeah. I'm, um, you know, you know, it seems to imply that, you know, you have even a kind of ongoing, you know, an ongoing program of evangelism happening, happening among the believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, in, in terms of the same gospel that, the same gospel that saves you is the gospel that keeps you. Well, that is That's partially true, Eddie. Okay. Yes, because remember when we come to Hebrews now, the, the writer of the Hebrews says that you have these elementary things, but you need to leave them and to go on in chapter 6. You see? So we can't, it's the same gospel in the sense it's the same ancient word, all that we have. But the focus isn't only on the death of Christ anymore. The focus now is on the life of Christ. And see, this is another truth. And by the way, for your information, because I know you are involved and you like uh, these reformed people and, and whatnot, they like to hold on to the cross. Everything you look back at the cross. Now, all that sounds nice and good, but I don't think it's biblical. I think as believers, we have to go to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's where we have the power to live. That's where we have the empowerment we need over sin. All right? And that is going to be my trust. We cannot stay at the cross. We have to move and go to the resurrection. That's where, again, this is where we have to focus on the three tenses of salvation. Past. We are saved from the judgment of sin. Present. We're saved from the power of sin. And that only comes through the resurrected Christ. Remember Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's for us now. That's for us now. And the cross doesn't give us that. It's only the resurrection that gives us that. You see? And these are some of the things we have to look at as we go along. These are the things that causes us to grow as believers and to go beyond the elementary and to move on to things that will cause us to grow in Christ. Thanks, Eddie. All right, anyone else? Go ahead. What about the day of Pentecost? Um, that has anything to do with evangelism? The oh, yeah. Without the Holy Spirit indwells us. That's our power for evangelism. Now, in that context, it says that we become witnesses. And again, that's another confusing term for many people. A lot of people think they have to do certain things to be a witness. To be a witness, I have to go and give out tracts. To be a witness, I have to do this. If you are a Christian, you are a witness. The big question is, what kind of witness are you? You could be a bad witness, or you could be a good witness. The Spirit of God is coming to us to make us to be the kind of witness that God wants us to be. But we are all, we get evangelized without witnessing. 
You see, we could evangelize without witnessing. 